the WSFI Deacons Roundtable here in beautiful studios of WSFI Radio. I am Deacon Greg Webster from St. Raphael the Archangel Catholic Church in Old Mill Creek, Illinois. And with me I have my good friend Dave Egan from the Village of Victory Lakes in Lindenhurst, Illinois. Deacon Mike Alandi from Our Lady of the Annunciation, St. Mary of the Annunciation. St. Mary of the Annunciation. Sorry about that. <laughs> and also our, our vicar of, of deacons for the, the permanent deacons for the Archdiocese of Chicago, Deacon Richard Hudgick. Welcome, guys. Thank you for coming here on, from, from work. And today we're going to talk about permanent diaconate from perspective of deacons from the Archdiocese of Chicago. And perhaps we can start a little bit talking about uh, what are we currently doing at each of our assignments. And we'll start with Mike since he's looking right at me. St. Mary of the Annunciation, a big parish, 1,700 people. I'm working with the several small groups. One of them is the Lectio Divina group. And we meet weekly. We study scripture. I have also two other prayer groups. Uh, one of them, they call themselves the Seekers Group. It's a group of family with their children. We get together once a month and we study scripture or catechism. And, of course, I'm also involved with baptismal prep, marriage preparation, etc. Etc. <laughs> and very importantly, you'll be the witness for my daughter's wedding in the summer. True. You better, better write down the dates so, so you show up that day. So we're doing that. And we also have Dave Egan here. Dave, uh, talk a little bit about what you're doing at Victory Lakes. So I'm currently a chaplain at the Village of Victory Lakes. It's a community, uh, retirement community run by the Franciscan Sisters of Chicago. It is a community that is both as independent living, assisted living, as well as a health care unit. So it's almost like a apartment, uh, just a community for the in the independent living for people to have meals as well as just live, have a place to live and not have to deal with the caretaking of a house. The assisted living is um, for people that need a little bit more help and within that there's also a memory unit for people who generally have dementia. And then there's a healthcare unit which has two aspects to it. One is long-term skilled nursing and the other one is a rehab unit for people that are transitioning from hospitalization to home and going through the things like physical therapy or cardiac rehab and walking with them on the journey wherever they are in each of those different places. Thank you. And of course, uh, being said, St. Raphael the Archangel, there's no people of uh, WSFI are quite familiar with our parish, with our founding pastor, Father Jim Nicky, and our current pastor, Mike McGovern. My primary duties or, or assignment right now is the RCIA program. So if anyone listening interested in getting set up for the sacraments in the Catholic Church, uh, come by on a Thursday night at St. Raphael, and we'll get you all set up for the Easter Vigil. So we'll little plug there for us as well. And then whatever else Father Mike needs, we're a growing community. Beautiful church on Route 43. Please everyone come visit all, all the time. We have our vicar who has two roles. He's all, he's a vicar for the Archdiocese of Chicago and he's also a deacon for a, a church in Westchester. Yes, West thank Chester. you. Yeah, I am uh, the vicar for deacons and in that role I serve as the, the Cardinal's representative to the, the deacons and wives, the Archdiocese. I stand in the middle between cardinal and the deacons and try to be a, a, a source of communication back and forth upstream and downstream or side stream to side stream however you want to think of it so that's the bulk of my ministerial work is there's uh, there's a lot to be done there sort of a, a part-time assignment is to divine providence in in Westchester, and they're uh, basically because I needed I needed a, a community uh, with which to pray. I didn't want to be just a admi- administrative drone stuck in the office. So my my parish family is is the divine providence, and and there I'll I'll serve in, in some teaching functions, uh, uh, liturgical roles, and uh, we're we're uh, rejuvenating the uh, respect life committee. So that's it's uh, it's a 
modest role at, at the parish is I, I like to devote as much energy as I have to uh, the vicar for deacon's job. And, of course, uh, you and uh, Deacon Dave Brennick uh, also do the Emmaus program for uh, the three years after ordination for the Archdiocese of Chicago, right? We do the Emmaus program, but uh, the deacon's education is never finished. Even <laughs> for senior statesmen such as Deacon Dave Egan, uh, every deacon, uh, you know, seriously, every deacon is obliged to continue on with his, his formation. But you're right, you mentioned what we call the Emmaus program. First three years... Uh, post-ordination, there's a particular requirement uh, that is uh, placed upon the, the newly uh, ordained deacons, and, and our office does that. We uh, supervise that and create that in both English and Spanish. It's not something that uh, the Archdiocese has created, and it's certainly nothing that, uh, that Deacon Dave or I have, Brensick or I have dreamt up, but it's it's a consequence of trying to be faithful and observant to the uh, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, National Director uh, for the life and formation of the permanent diaconate in the United States. That all is the title of, of the book. Uh, it needs a little snappier title, but that is that is the title, and that lays out how deacons are formed and, and what life uh, for the deacon is post-ordination. So, so yeah, we do continuing education as, as part of the, the diaconate office. And I did promise Mike and Dave some educational hours for coming into WSFI <laughs> today, so I'm sure you'll work that out after, we are, afterwards. We are delighted. <laughs> the uh, the interest is having deacons do something, uh, and, and we're, we're we're pleased with 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 that effort. You sound like my wife. Do something. Just do something. Yeah. Just, just do anything. So one thing that's different about the the, the permanent diaconate is that we have other vocations. So we have other uh, uh, most of the deacons in the Archdiocese of Chicago are married. So with the marriage vocation, and uh, of course as a requirement of we have to be employed, and in our daily lives. So um, just as part of our introduction here, Mike. Uh, what do you do when you're not deaconing? I'm telling people what to do. I do train people, and uh, I train them in supervision. I train work groups to work together as a team. And so for me, that was a short. That was easy. From from training people to now training people for baptism, and I, I've been doing that for uh, quite a while. Yes. Deacon Dave? Uh, I'm a protein biochemist. I work in uh, drug development. Uh, generally, the last couple of years I've been working on both oncology as well as dementia proteins and trying to help people find cures for cancer as well as dementia and trying to figure out the puzzle. And I, I also work at the same company as, as Deacon Dave, but I'm an analytical chemist, so I'm working on the purity and the stability of the new drug entities that are going to market. Of course, where we work isn't important, is that we work, so we'll <laughs> leave that through here. But uh, we are both employed in the pharmaceutical industry, and then... Uh, Deacon Hudzik, being the vicar, is your primary position. Right? That is, that is, yeah, that's uh, that's my day job is uh, a nighttime and, and weekend job too. The the deacon, the you made mention about the the employment status, and I think the maybe this is an opportunity to let clarify for the public that uh, deacons are not paid employees in our deacon's role. The obligation for a deacon is that he be able to support himself, that uh, ordination does not confer on him a job with the church. They're employed by and large because they need some money because they're not getting it from, from the church. That's not part of our, so to speak, our deal with the church. Uh, the ordination and the service as a deacon is, is, not, uh, is not compensated. 
so yeah so that's but if you are employed full-time for the church uh, we've got deacons uh, serving as business managers we have deacons as full-time pastoral associates of uh, deacons in in paid positions as chaplains but the norm is is that it is not uh, the deacon is not normally in a paid position in the in the church we're good, and we're going to get into the permanent diaconate as we go out throughout the hour. Um, but our senior deacon here in a number of hours, or years, excuse me, is, is Dave Eakin. He's ordained in 93, did you say? Yeah, 93. Yeah. One of the things that comes to mind is uh, the changes that you've seen in the diaconate since 93 and, and what we're doing today. Could you... Uh, Give us a little bit of your insight on that. Well, probably the biggest change that I've seen is that the educational aspect has been enhanced dramatically. There was a number of courses where they sort of gave you just the beginning of it when I was going through the program, and now it's a much more rigorous academic approach to being trained. There were uh, quite a few people that in my era that actually then went on to graduate school in theology just so they could get more information, more understanding of what it was really meant to be a Christian worker and to be qualified enough so that you could feel comfortable going into some very difficult decisions and discussions with people trying to understand where the different aspects of the Catholic faith really came in and how it could impact their lives. Would would it be fair to say that in the 90s you had a lot of on-the-job kind of training? Yeah, I think there was a lot. There was quite a bit, but there was also the other aspect of it too that many of the people that did go into the diaconate have been very active in their parish communities and usually that's why they were invited into the diaconate so that the pastoral skills were seen and observed and now it was a matter of training and honing those skills so they could better serve the people of God. So I could see that being a a pretty big difference because Deacon Peter Haidu, rest in peace, and I always used to talk about how Babu Hala and his faculty and group at the at the Mundelein Seminary who did our training, we felt very prepared coming out of uh, after ordination. We knew if we didn't know exactly what we were going to do, we knew exactly where to look it up. So so I think that probably has a lot to do with the national directory and, and also the, the, the program that, that uh, Babu Hala runs. But so it, it's challenging. You know, academic, we have to go into the fact you don't need a degree to be a deacon in, uh, in the Archdiocese of Chicago. Uh, but yes, there is a lot of courses and things that we do take, and uh, I thought we were pretty well prepared. Prepared. Michael Andy and I are from the same ordination class, so uh, do you see anything any differently, Mike? I echo that. When you come out of the diaconate program and you go into your pastoral ministry, you don't feel like you're doing it the first time. You've done this in the classroom. You've done this on the job, so to speak, during the four years of formation. So you come out real prepared and confident. With one exception. I still don't know how to sing the exultant <laughs> for doing that Easter. So Comes actually, Father time. Mike did it at our parish for doing that. Uh, and of course, between 2014 and 1993, we, your perspective from 1998 when 1998. you were in. Consistent with, with what you're saying is that over the years, the formation has gotten better, much better. Um, 
and I think uh, in part we have uh, Cardinal George to thank for that, that his, uh, his instructions to the Institute for Diaconal Studies and the Instituto de Liderazgo Pastoral, the uh, Spanish language uh, formation program, his directions were, you will follow the, the national directory, uh, and that's that document I, I referred to before. It's a comprehensive statement of, of what a deacon should know before ordination. And it's not only, there's four pillars to, to formation. Uh, it's not only the intellectual component, but formation is also a matter of learning the ministerial skills. How do you do what you're supposed to do? There's also a requirement in the formation that the human dimension to, you know, to be a grown-up, to, to not, uh, to, to, to be able to suffer b- the bumps and uh, interactions with other people and not crumble into pieces. There's also, of course, the spiritual dimension. So all four of those are, are essential to the formation. And, and yes, between 1998 when I was ordained and what I see now, you know, really I'm, I'm envious of, uh, of the formation that's, that's being done now. And it's uh, credit to, to those involved in, in doing that formation. And it, uh, it serves the people of God uh, so much better than letting malformed uh, deacons uh, loose. So, and, and of course, any time when you uh, travel or any time when somebody else is parish, of course, we watch the other deacons mm-hmm. and see what they're doing. So I was in, in uh, Des Moines this weekend, and I was I was seeing they do things a little differently in, in, in Des Moines. So it's uh, whereas we're not allowed to change or mess with the right, there's some training differences. And, of course, that's what the national directory is trying to harmonize upon upon what we're doing there, of course. And now that I'm done, I'm okay with a foreign language requirement or anything else they want to mm-hmm. add to it So uh, since the uh, the hands have already have already gone down, but uh, Mike and I are three years out, four, four years out, right around there. Going time, four years, yeah, yes. Time uh, time goes fast. Time goes so, by. Yes. Uh, if, if you if you thought uh, before we go to our break here, because we'll we'll talk about the uh, who is the permanent deacon and after our break. But before we go there, Mike, if you what's something you did? Dave was talking about on the hand, uh, trial by fire uh, on the uh, learn as you go. What do you think? Perhaps. Uh, you feel that you've needed in the last four years that you, you probably still need to be look, brushed up a little bit on? In terms of brushing up? Yeah. Or, you know, what what uh, do you think well, you're training might have What I felt the last uh, three, three and a half years going is I've been going back to what I've been taught the last four years. And there's a lot more reflection that's happening. Um, it's a lot, there's a lot more for me to look at the things I studied and to see how they're happening in real life. And sometimes it's the other way around, that it enriches me. Even in the area of preaching, okay, I, 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 I learned how scripture works, not because of what I think it is, but because I begin to see it happening in the community, in the different ministries I'm at. And so it's a very enriching process. For me, the four years of training and the last three years of pastoral ministry is really a spiritual journey. It's really me growing in the spirit and all that in the spirit of service. I, I would I can see that. I, particularly, I know my prayer life is a lot more part of my life than it was even at ordination. Um, Dave, I think... Uh, one thing I would think is that where your area is that one of the things we don't come out with is a, is a sense of being pastoral as much. I mean, obviously he's taught it and we're encouraged to be it, but it's it, an experience thing, wouldn't you say, that that comes through? It does. I think as you go along, you learn to be a lot more pastoral. And part of the 
what I consider one of the key points of being pastoral is walking someone with someone along their journey. You can help them get to where you think they should be and where they want to go, but it's not something that you're going to hammer into them. You're going to walk the journey with them because a lot of it is self-discovery. And as they discover themselves, you discover a lot about yourself and what it means to walk that journey. And so that aspect of it, I think, is the probably the greatest area of growth that anybody can do as a Christian. And that music coming on, we know that we're at our time for our first break. This is WSFI 88.5 on your FM dial, and we'll be right back. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio invites you to their 6th annual Fall Benefit and Fundraiser on Friday, November 3rd at Mundelein Seminary. Doors open at 5.30 p.m. and the event will feature a live and silent auction so you can get your Christmas shopping done early while helping to keep local Catholic radio on the air. The keynote speaker is Milwaukee Archbishop Jerome Lestecki. To make reservations, Call 224-206-8455. That's 224-206-8455. Or visit wsfiradio.org and click on events. That's wsfiradio.org. Then click on events. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MAT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. WSFI uh, 88.5 on your FM dial or on tuned in or on WSFICatholicRadio.org where this is a uh, a charity type of organization so when you go to the website please donate whatever you can it, it, uh, uh, we want to keep this station going to reach the uh, Catholic Christian listeners and anyone who wants to listen Lake County in Illinois McHenry County in Illinois and Kenosha County in, uh, in southern Wisconsin so we're going to move on talk a little bit now about uh, personal vocation stories that, that uh, each of us has. If you notice, we're all type, different type of individuals, different kind of personalities going through here, and we have different stories. So uh, we're going to start uh, with Deacon Dave here. If you want to talk a little bit about how'd you get into this mess? That's a good question. Um, I'm a product of Catholic grade school and Catholic high school, and when I was in Catholic high school, one of the requirements 
for your senior year. One of the things you could do for your senior year, because you already had all the academic credits, you could spend time outside of the school working for different organizations. And service was always an important aspect in my upbringing as well as training through school. And so I actually was working in an orphanage in, in a hospital, just helping the hospital, helping the stock room, and the orphanage just playing with the kids as they were going through there. And you had to take some classes, but you got so the academic credit for that. And that continued through college. I've always been very socially conscious. But during that time, I also sort of went away from the formal church, but we kept all the beliefs and understanding of God and service to other people. And later on, I decided that a church needed a second look. And I did. And from there, I just became very much more involved and had some, I guess, the teenage rebellion years instead of asking more questions and, and learning that the answers were there. I just had to go keep searching. So actually, I was very seriously considering becoming a priest and ended up that uh, I talked to the seminary at, at Mundelein. They were supposed to send me some information and never did. And in between that conversation, I happened to meet this woman who I eventually would marry. And I was still quite active in the church. And the pastor, I was working with the youth group, as a matter of fact, and was on a ski trip dealing with kids at two in the morning. The pastor said to me, have you ever considered being a deacon? And uh, it was George Dyer at the time. And he said, why don't you think about that? And started to think about it. And I said, yes. That's something I actually want to do. It's that important to my life to make a difference to other people that, yes, I'm going to go through this. And so I ended up doing that. And one of the great things, George used to be at the seminary as uh, one of the deans. And one of the things through uh, when I was in formation that AIDS in HIV, people who were HIV positive, at that point when they were getting the disease, it was actually a death sentence. And I asked George that when I got out, I said, I will you know, work at the parish, all the liturgical things, but I really want to work at Catholic Charities and walk with people going through this journey. And it was just something that was very important to me to do that. And he said, yes, go to it. And so uh, all my assignments, any time that I've been with the church, it's always been working with social justice. And it was dealing with, at the times like AIDS was the modern day leprosy. So I just felt called to do that. I've worked with housing, fair housing in Lake County. I've worked with a whole bunch of ethics committees at hospitals and IRBs and actually even a village. And making it some ways to have the social justice, so ways to have the kingdom here on earth. And I feel that's actually what really drove me to go to the diaconate, that the deacons, one of the primary responsibilities that I feel a deacon has is to make a difference in the world. That a someone who is a Dane priest, they're tied to the altar. The benefit of the deacon is that you're that transcend from the altar to the streets and bringing the gifts of the altar to the street, then bringing the gifts of the street to the altar. And so in that aspect, it's a perfect fit for my personality, my beliefs, and my understanding of what I'm called to do by God. Very, very great story. Now, 17 years later... Do you feel like you... 17, 24. Well, yeah, I, math isn't my strong. 
theology here, right? There's no math in theology. The 70 times 7, I guess. But the... Uh, <laughs> um, so many years later after your ordination, how do you, looking back, did you did you hit those goals that you think you were setting? There's a lot of them, um, and it's always refocusing. I mean, um, so currently right now I'm dealing with an elderly population. I've been doing that for almost six years, a little over five years now. Um, and that was one aspect that I never really dealt with before. And trying to make a difference in their lives and help them where they're at but it's also a very a very good two-way street that I've found in every single ministry I've had that as much as I give a community the community gives me back so much more and so the understanding I've gotten from this community of what it means to walk that journey and I think that's one of the true blessings of ministry is that no matter what you put into it you always get more back I think that's totally true, especially when you bring communion to the, the body of Christ to somebody in their house, and and uh, what an awesome honor that is to be able to do that. And, and uh, some of the people I visit, they're like, "Oh, thank you for coming." I said, "No, thank you for allowing me to to, to bring Jesus here for doing that." And uh, at St. Raphael, we also uh, have ministries at Rolling Hills Senior Center, and I know that every time we go there. You feel great coming back, and and, and that's the Holy Spirit, and, and it's 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 a it's a lucky thing what we get to do, for 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 doing that, and uh, so, uh, so twenty four more years you plan on being a deacon for the Archdiocese of Chicago, and uh, <laughs> so, um, what would you what, what after all this time, what would you like to see, your ministry blossom to something where you haven't gone before, perhaps. The next step, I think, would be to go to communities that are completely underserved. Um, so right now, if I had to, in Lake County, I'd say one of the big areas that is really underserved is the Hispanic population. I think that there's a great support within the community with themselves, but there's very minimal crosstalk with all the Anglo parishes that are there. And I see that as probably being one of the bigger needs of pulling it as a universal church. And we should be able to do that in Lake County and having it as a complete county. For, this is a unique county in that you have some very rich communities and very poor communities. And then to ask the question is, why is that? And what are you called to do if you're in the group of haves to the quote-unquote have-nots? And how can you make a difference in their lives? That's what I was going to say specifically. How can a deacon do what you're asking? So, I mean, if you're working, you know, reaching out across the parish boundaries and trying to say, okay, what can we do together? What can this, two, what can these two parishes really do together? Uh, beyond, you know, the Christ Renews is church and Christ Renews is parish, having all of these resources up here and all of these needs, what can we do? So you're looking larger than the Renew My Church program that's going on in the Archdiocese. No, it's a, or just independent of that, of pulling there's some groups of parishes that aren't connected within that, but pulling all the different groups together. I mean, we have a, a very large number of deacons here in this uh, vicariate. Having all the deacons work together and pulling all the parishes 
You have 156 deacons in Vicariate 1, or 29% of all the active deacons in the archdiocese. So, I mean, that's, that's quite a force that can make a difference yeah. in the world. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of people power. Sure. Especially when it's, uh, what's the word, multiplied to the degree that the wives are involved as well. And so that's, you're not looking at 156, you might, you know, approaching 300 perhaps, depending on uh, if the wife is involved or not. So, yeah. So, so Mike or, or Richard, do you, have, do you have anything you wanted to ask Deacon Dave here about his story? Or? No, I believe what he told me. <laughs> <laughs> As a lawyer, would you like to quote, examine? Cross, uh, <laughs> call the this, witness. This hostile witness. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have uh, Deacon Mike, my good friend uh, from Mundelein here. How about your story? My vocation started with... Uh, the wife of a deacon telling me, hey, you did a good job proclaiming, okay? The first reading, that was excellent. And she said, you probably should become a deacon. And I didn't feel good about that. <laughs> and then she did it again after a couple of weeks. And I started to pray about it. And I said to the Lord, but Lord, I've been in the seminary before. And somehow it didn't work out. I thought you didn't want me, so. But it was like a hound keeps bothering me. So I decided to ask how to start this whole process. I called Bob Puhala, the director of the uh, Institute for Diagonal Studies. And he said, go to your pastor. And here is where uh, Father Ron Lewinsky, who just passed away, uh, was very helpful. He said, well, fill up the form. Okay, after talking with him. Okay, so I filled up the form. But I still had my doubts. And every time I talked to the Lord, I would say, Lord, but I can't sing. Okay. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I tried already and I failed. And besides, I have a lot of work to do. How can I balance all these things? But I filled the paperwork. I prepared all the paperwork. I got my baptismal certificate, my confirmation papers. I got my signatures that I need. Everything's in a packet. And the deadline was approaching. And I said, Lord, what will I do? And finally, I was in Pennsylvania uh, doing an out-of-town project. I was in the car early in the morning. I was praying the rosary as I'm accustomed to and I said Lord I got a few days you gotta tell me whether I would submit this or not I told you already my limitations and I was driving and then suddenly a truck overtook me okay and I had to step on the brake and I looked up and on the back of the truck were eight and inch tall letter okay five five letters it said Deacon Good thing I didn't smash the truck. <laughs> my first instinct was to take out my iPhone. My wife will never believe this. So I took a video of it. Okay. And then I said, this is going to be embarrassing. So I told my wife, sweetheart, we're going to deacon school. <laughs> and I felt so embarrassed and humiliated because the Lord was already telling me in many ways. And yet I was so hard-headed, 
I kept saying I was unworthy, and he knew I was, but the issue was not being worthy or not. The issue was he wanted me, and so I did. I sent my application, and here I am after seven years. So what if the truck had said Walmart? (laughs) (laughs) I did the research. There was such a company. (laughs) But the timing was impeccable. And the message was there. There was a feeling that went with it, a feeling of peace, a feeling of finality. I got to do this. I have to do it. And that's how it all began. And, you know, I think today in 2017, we don't really look for the Holy Spirit giving us messages in our lives. Of course, St. Ignatius tells us God in all things. So why can't he use a semi-truck down in on a highway or, or else was doing that? So um, how about uh, formation for you? How, how did, how did uh, what were some of the challenges for you on that? I, I had a lot of challenges in, during the formation years. The very first year, I got sick. I had cancer. I said, Lord, you wanted me to do this. You sent me a text message, be a deacon. Now you, I have this. I looked at the, the picture of the thing, and yeah, I do have cancer. And I need to go through surgery and all that. But you know what? I went through it the first year. It's like nothing happened. I, I met all the requirements of school. I was maybe absent for a couple of weeks. But then even my relationship with my wife improved with all that. And my relationship with my daughter, our family was better. I said, there's something funny here. And then the second year, third year, there were financial challenges. There were time challenges. But but things went well. I was making my, I think I, I, I did good grades at that time. <laughs> I thought I would flunk the course, but I didn't. And I thought I wouldn't grow spiritually, but I did. And I did have time for my liturgy of the hours, the prayer, the daily prayer. I did have time for my meditations. And I did have time for all the uh, ministry services I needed to do. And looking back at those four years, I don't know how I managed all them. It's like somebody lifted me the whole time and made it happen. Okay. That there's got to be a Holy Spirit there somewhere. Yes. Holy Spirit and a good wife. <laughs> I think one of the coolest things about going through formation in a cohort like we do is that uh, the members of your cohort become your brothers. They're your extended family. And... Uh, uh, even though we don't see each other like we did before, I still think we have that bond of of, uh, of our brothers that some of them still aren't in ministry anymore, and we still love them. And uh, unfortunately, some of them have moved on. And uh, you know, but I thought our group, our group was a little yeah. bit different. We we made time for ourselves to get together as a group, yeah. okay, and we studied together. We shared notes. We shared. Well, that Our was to problems. get me through the program. I had to study with you to, 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 to do that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, the, when we used to go to a stretch for the retreat house, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we, we were encouraged to, to be quiet and keep, keep it a, a holy place. But Who was, was the director of stretch retreat house when you went through there? Uh, uh, some crackpot. I don't know. <laughs> uh, 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 Twas I. Twas I. Was it not? <laughs> 
my boss is a vicar, a vicar of, uh, of deacons in the Archdiocese of Chicago, a beautiful retreat house at Mundelein Seminary. But uh, it was interesting because it's guys you wanted to spend some time with and, and outside of class and, and see what's going on in their lives and, and what's, what's going on. And, uh, uh, you know, and we... Some guys, when when they were going through some some tough times, we we wanted to be there with them. So I don't remember the cancer story. So some of them kept secrets from us. But uh, uh, and when some guys left, which you're free to do, uh, you know they take part of you with them. But uh, it's a very cool experience to to have a brotherhood like that. I think uh, uh, between you and Peter and all them, we were very very close. So. That music's coming on. It's time for our next break at WSFI at 88.5 FM on your radio dial. We'll be right back after a few short messages. Do not be led astray. Bad company corrupts good morals. Join WSFI 88.5 FM for the third annual healing conference on October 27th and 28th at Mundelein Seminary. This year's topic is soul ties and angelic protection. The conference will feature Kyle Clement, a 15-year veteran trainer of Catholic priest exorcists. Father Bob Sears will focus on healing of unwanted tendencies. And Vicki Thorne of Project Rachel on the biology of soul ties. For more information or to register for the conference, visit WSFICatholicRadio.org or call 224-206-8455, 224-206-8455. Eight four five five. Hello, my name is Lynn Mills, and I'm from Pro Life Detroit of the Greater Detroit area in Michigan. And Catholic Radio is important because they keep us informed on the relevant things going on today. In fact. Catholic Radio should be renamed Pro-Life Radio because they do so much for the movement. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at WSFIRadio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. We are back at WSFI 88.5, which Dick 
Deacon Richard asked who has radios to do that anymore with, but you need you need 88.5 to find them on uh, Tuned In Radio on your computer. But obviously you're listening to us, you have found us. But like us on Facebook and get some more listeners here. We can always have more and more people coming in and listening to the Word of God here on WSFI. We are now going to move on to Deacon Hudzik. Uh, I finished my cookie. I checked with Angela. It was not a consecrated host, so I'm in good shape. So we're, <laughs> we're going to now ask Deacon, Deacon Hudzik. How did you get into this racket? Do I start with the log cabin? Is that... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> However you want to. Okay. No being knocked off the horse on the road to Damascus or anything like that. It was a much, uh, it was a very long and uh, tortuous and uh, gradual unfolding, I, I think. Like uh, Deacon Dave, Catholic uh, grade school, Catholic high school, Catholicism was, was in my blood. My father was a graduate of Quickly Seminary. He would have been ordained in 1949, I think, was would have been his year. So the, the Catholic uh, ethos was was part of me, but uh, I think maybe also, as I heard from from Dave, over the years I got smarter than uh, than than my intelligence warranted, uh, and you know became uh, spiritual, but not but not religious. That would be my my college years, uh, but I. I I hung around. I hung around uh, for a number of years as a young adult. I was part of a, a prayer group that met uh, every other week, kind of, sort of Catholic, uh, but a fair number of uh, non-Orthodox uh, opinions were expressed there. I think the, the the journey back was working in youth ministry with uh, with a priest who became a friend of mine. Uh, he was the one who sponsored me for the diac and Father Tom McNeff. Uh, may he rest in peace. He was pastor, uh, ultimately, at St. Maria Gretti in Schiller Park, and he sponsored me. And I worked with him in youth ministry when he was on the on the south side. And at the time, I was... Uh, I was practicing law. That was my, my first career. Uh, I did that for uh, almost about 30 years or so. But uh, lawyering is uh, can be a, a nasty, contentious sort of uh, way to earn a living. As everybody's always got something to complain about, and uh, the lawyer's right there in the middle. And it was uh, it, spiritually, it was it was it was tiresome. It was it was deadening. But working with the teens, I remember going on a on a youth retreat once, and that that uh, that line from C.S. Lewis, uh, Surprised by Joy. Uh, I had forgotten how to be joy-filled and how to be joyful. And seeing the teens just wacky as they were and uh, just the good time that they were having um, reminded me that there is... uh, uh, that the Lord is is in our midst at all times. It, it was a it was a it was a turning point for me. So I got more serious and uh, about my faith. Uh, studied uh, a master's degree um, and just kept deepening and and. And, and studying more and more it was uh, it was initially it was an intellectual pursuit there's that line from um, GK Chesterton about how the the church is so much bigger on the inside than it is from the outside and I think what he meant by that is that as you study your faith you with each step that you go you find that it's deeper and deeper than and richer than you'd ever imagined and so I was on that 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 path and uh, continued to study it and uh, just eventually I 
But what else is next on this on this journey? What 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 should I, what credential do I need next? Uh, hardly a spirit-filled question, but that was a question and truth that I asked myself. And well, what the heck? Why not? Why not deacon? That sounds like something I might want to do. So I started, um, and they uh, uh, through oversight or negligence, they they didn't throw me out, and uh, I was ordained in 1998, um, and I'm. Ever grateful for uh, the opportunity for for people letting me do this. Um, you know, as uh, as was said here earlier, we receive so much more than than we ever give. Um, just the, the rewards are are abundant in in being with the people and uh, accompanying them and, and whatever it might be uh, might be they might be experiencing at the moment, whether it's it's good or bad. Uh, so. The, the the vocation story is uh, is just one of uh, peeling back the onion and finding uh, something that was right in front of me all the time and I was was not awake enough to see um, but uh, here I am uh, how do you go from uh, peeling back the onion to running stretch Cardinal stretch retreat house the Cardinal stretch uh, I did that. I started in 2005. At that time, I, I, I am married, uh, still married to my first wife uh, and my only <laughs> wife. Uh, we have three kids. The kids were, by and large, done with uh, with college at that time, and I just finished a uh, the Master's of Divinity at uh, Catholic Theological Union. I was in my 50s, and I figured I can afford to stop lawyering. Um, I can do something else. And I had met with Cardinal George. Uh, we had a long conversation. Actually, uh, Stritch was a, uh, a consolation prize because I'd actually uh, uh, sought to be, uh, uh, I'd applied, the, the, the director of formation was actually, that position was open at the time. And uh, Cardinal George made a good choice, and he chose Bob Pahala, and I think that was a, <laughs> it's a good choice. And he said, well, you know, maybe there's something else that you can do for us. And that's, uh, I'd done a lot of real estate law, and I, in the Cardinal's mind, I think he saw that uh, the entrepreneurial spirit of, uh, of a lawyer and the real estate uh, work that I'd done, he said, well, would you ever think of, sort of like, you'd never think of going, moving to Stritch? And I said, yeah, I would. That'd be cool. So uh, my wife and I uh, moved up there. As I say, the kids were pretty much gone at that time, and uh, we did that for about over seven years. Um, it was a wonderful time. Got to meet all the good deacons and all the retreatants coming through there and all the deacons' wives. And then uh, after that uh, that job, I was blessed uh, uh, by Cardinal George to, uh, for the opportunity to become vicar for deacons. Um, and... Uh, both jobs are were really cool, and I, you know, don't regret a minute of, of either job. Um, they're both they're, they're both wonderful. They've both been wonderful. Did you have a lot of interaction with the cardinal? Okay. We did. Uh, he, he was. Uh, <laughs> The highlight of the Cardinal Stritch uh, retreat year is the Region 7 Bishops Retreat, uh, third week of August, and we always use that when we're at Stritch. Is the, everything had to be painted, polished, waxed, uh, cleaned up. I used it managerially as the, uh, uh, the focus point for the year, and so we have this great blessing of the bishops from uh, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Indiana, Region 7, 
uh, would come and stay at my house for a week. Um, and without exception, um, those men are are gentlemen, uh, just a wonderful bunch of people. Uh, and so the Cardinal would be there during those during those times. And, you know, you, you want to give your retreat in space. Um, but, you know, once in a while, he'd, uh, we'd be able to talk and um, just uh, delightful conversations. Uh, smart guy. Uh, smart WSFI has had a lot of uh, interaction with Cardinal George. And as you could tell from the guys in the room here, the, the deacons of the Archdiocese of Chicago loved, loved Cardinal George. Uh, he was a great guy. Uh, I think people got to see his sense of humor as mm-hmm. much. I remember now that uh, you know, here we are in the fall and... And on ordinary time, deacons have to wear green. You know, we're in Chicago. I asked him. I said, "I said, Cardinal, how about a how about a blue and orange uh, dalmatic for the, for game days here?" And he just kind of looked at me and shook his head and kept walking. So maybe he didn't have that good a sense of humor. I don't know, but <laughs> he didn't have your sense of humor. <laughs> but he was a, he was a great for which guy. we are grateful. He was a great guy. And our our Cardinal, Cardinal how do you interact uh, too much with uh, Cardinal Cardinal Supich? I've you know yes, we're we're on the altar together here and there. Uh, um, the managerial structure is uh, we report to uh, the Vicar General, uh, Father Ron Hicks, and uh, that's my primary contact with the uh, quote-unquote downtown. So uh, Father Hicks is a marvelous guy. Cardinal Supich is a great guy, too. This Renew My Church, um, you know, it's a job that has to be done, and he's, you know, he's got the, uh, the courage of convictions to do that. Just a, a, a 30 seconds in Cardinal Supich. There was a photograph of him uh, about a month or so ago where he's sitting there waiting to be called for testimony before the Chicago City Council. And I thought to myself, you know, sort of like the, the man against the world, in a sense, that that's, you know, some of them are going to be hostile, um, some of them are going to be indifferent, some will be very courteous and, and, and kind, but just uh, to be the point guy for you know all the Catholics and in Cook and Lake County. That's that's a tough job, and I, you know, anybody who's got the uh, the courage and the fortitude to do that, um, the Holy Spirit is with them, and I'm, I'm grateful for his tenacity and, and being able to do that. Well, we're very excited at St. Raphael. He announced, uh, or Father Mike announced, that he's going to be at the uh, at St. Raphael on April 22nd at the 11 o'clock Mass. So uh, hopefully the WSFI listening audience will come out and uh, see St. Raphael and also uh, uh, show our support for our, our Cardinal Archbishop, who does such a, a demanding job. So, Well, uh, Greg, since you've now asked us all of these questions about our lives, we haven't heard anything about yours. <laughs> so please share. I, I thought as moderator I wouldn't have to have to do that but uh you call this moderating (laughs) stuttering whatever you want to call it so uh, i didn't go to catholic schools i'm a public school guy i didn't go to catholic school until i I got my bachelor's degree and uh uh, just last week i reminded some of the people i said up in uh the area of saint raphael we got some catholic schools they're called milburn elementary and lakes high school let's not forget about our public schools that are so important to our where most of our catholic children go to school and uh, as our catholic schools are getting smaller we need to get vocations out of our public schools so it's uh, and uh, some parishes like St. Elizabeth down in uh, Oakland or Oak Forest wherever they are um, they have more students in their uh, religious ed public school students going through the programs than they do going to the uh, Catholic schools so we have to remember that uh, there's there's faith there but I think any place where the Holy Spirit is alive in the domestic church the the boys are going to think a little bit at some time in life whether they're going to be a priest or not uh, 
I don't think I, I thought about it that closely, but I, I, I entertained the idea and uh, uh, met a beautiful girl, woman named Tammy, and uh, uh, she decided she was going to go to Northern Illinois, and I figured, well, I'll go to Northern Illinois too, I guess, for, for school, and uh, 27 years later, I guess that was a pretty good decision to make because we're still, we're still together, but uh, uh, if you ask my wife uh, uh, about thinking about the Yakinet, she would probably pretty much say that that was always something I knew he was going to do. Um, I just waited uh, in there. So, uh, you have to be 35, right, before you can be ordained a deacon. So at one point I was waiting to be 35, and then I have three beautiful daughters. They were kind of young, and uh, we have deacons that have young children, no children all over the place, but uh, uh, I'm in the pharmaceutical industry, which means I've moved my children more than the military. And uh, through several downsizing and things, I wanted to wait until they got a little bit older. So I uh, I did my uh, master's degree waiting to become a diaconate. I have a master's of theology. And uh, I got my cancer over with by then, Mike, before I became a deacon. And uh, downsized several times, moved my house, uh, moved my children several times from Chicago to Kansas City to Michigan and back. And uh, um, I wanted to get some normal, you know, some stability in their lives for doing that. So I wanted to wait till they got a little bit older before... Uh, I actually entered the diaconate, and I was going to do it in Kansas City, then I moved. I was going to do it in Michigan, then I moved, and uh, came here to Lake uh, Lake County, and uh, was at St. Pat's at one point, uh, talked with Father Cecil, and St. Raphael was opening, talked with Father Jim Nicky, and he said, sure, I'll, I'm interested in having a deacon here, and uh, I said, yeah, I sat on the paperwork for a year like you did, <laughs> and uh, I said the time was right, so I, I went through that after spending time in Knights of Columbus, uh, we raised uh, several thousands of dollars for Hurricane Katrina, and we actually took it down to Biloxi, Mississippi. We didn't just send a check; we went down with it. And to see those people, everything shattered, destroyed, gone, and smiling and laughing because they had such great faith was, was just—you came back. It's like you know, I'm gonna. That's kind of cool. Um, the deacon, deacon's primary job is to be of service, and so there's a Knights of Columbus or to be of service. So there's there's a, a natural link right there. Uh, my biggest concern was uh, Deacon's job is to be bring Jesus in the workplace, and I was always concerned that as a, a mid-level manager and someone you you're not always uh, diaconal at work, and I was a little concerned about that. And I uh, I once talked to Father Ron. Uh, at uh, St. Pat's and, and a little bit at St. Raphael, and uh, I asked him about it. And I said, you know, Father Ron, you, you have a late vocation. You were a VP at a bank, and uh, I said, one of my big concerns is uh, trying to be clerical or diaconal in a workplace. And uh, he looked at me, and he said, Greg, I had to say communion in, or say mass in front of people I fired. And I said, well, okay, you you understand what I'm getting here. <laughs> and we, we, had a, we had a nice conversation, but... Uh, one of the things they tell you about uh, information is is to become your authentic self and be who you are. But uh, uh, for anyone who works in the secular world, Jesus is needed in the workplace. By by all means, Jesus is needed everywhere in society, uh, especially in our our public schools and, and everyone else. So the opportunity. I mean, obviously at a major corporation, you can't be on the corner screaming. But uh, uh, as St. Francis said, we can we can preach by showing how we live our lives and our values and our faith. Um, so that's kind of what I got. So for me, I'm very interested in bioethics right now. Uh, and I see myself going through that. I, uh, with a degree in chemistry and 27 years in the pharmaceutical industry, complementing that with bioethics, I think is a nice triangulation. So for me, I'd like to, to get further involved in, in that aspect and see where we're going because uh, we have those issues tremendously. In Illinois, we have the euth euthanasia 
going on right now. We have public schools with the gender stuff that's going through there. We have uh, abortion being um, going through there. Um, very first time I, I taught RCIA when I was getting involved by our uh, I told someone I said I'm doing some bioethics classes at, at Loyola. She said, "Oh, we're Catholic. We can't turn off the machine." And I said, "No, that's totally wrong. <laughs> Let's talk about that." And uh, um, we have a lot of education. We have the uh, Catholic ethical and uh, religious directives for healthcare. They did the bishops wrote a wonderful doctor, uh, wonderful document, and they they gave it to the healthcare institutions. But those aren't the patients. The Catholic patients go in there not knowing anything about it. So um, we we have a lot of work to do in our parishes to to help our our Catholics understand these type of issues and and not get it from from the radio or CNN or MSNBC they need to hear it from from our, our from our church speaking out on these issues and and as i said the, the you can get that you can get that document on on the USCCB website but uh, it's an easy read but it's a great document and and it it talks about the dignity of the human being and as a catholic church that's our primary primary uh way we approach these things uh, as a as a child of god you ha- we all have dignity and that's that's where we come from on these issues and uh, you can you can really get some people thinking a different way when you when you when you have that conversation but uh, and we need to have that conversation a lot more so uh but i've been blessed for being a deacon for seven years and uh, we'll see where we go from there so thank you for thank you for asking so and uh, Angela's don't want to hear more of my story, so we're going to go on to another break. <laughs> and uh, we'll be right back. So I warned everyone that my math is real bad, and I thought that we had another segment. But uh, we're out of our segments today. And uh, I'd like to thank uh, Deacon Dave from uh, the community of Victory Lakes and Deacon Mike from St. Mary of the Annunciation and the Vicar of Deacons for the Archdiocese of Chicago, Deacon Richard Hudzik. Thank you for being here today. One aspect that we didn't talk about is how do you become a deacon and, and uh, what are the requirements of the deacons? And most importantly, I think, is how to have a work-life, family, church balance in our lives. That's uh, something that we can talk about in a, in a future show. We are very fortunate to, uh, to be blessed by God to have this wonderful radio station and the ministries in our lives. And we're going to end today with a prayer from Deacon Dave. Seeing all the things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God, for allowing us to use this medium. Thank you for the lives and allowing us to walk the journey with other people, to touch their lives, and let their lives touch us so that we can become closer to you and bring you to more people. Continue to be with us on this journey so that all of us can enjoy your presence forever. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.